So this podcast here has nothing to do with rescue. This has to do with transitioning out of the military into the emergency services or into another job. We say the emergency services because that's most of what our background is and what we're familiar with. What we're looking at though is a couple of interviews that we're going to do. One with uh, Ed, who's a project manager of ours in Ontario. One with Chris, who's one of our full-time staff in BC. They were both engineers, both released from the military. Now, it's obviously a tough transition. And hopefully, you know, listening to their stories about what they did and what worked for them will help some of you. Now, just from our point of view, um, I spent a few years in the reserves, got out a very long time ago. And even with that, just with the accumulation of some of the full-time service that I had, um, didn't really have a lot of job skills. I dropped out of university to go away on some trips with the reserves and some deployments. And by the time I came back a few years later, a lot of those skills a lot of people had, you know, from schooling and what have you, I didn't. I was in the infantry, and as all of you know, There's not a lot of transferable skills. There's a great individual out there by the name of Chris Hennenberry, and I'll throw a shout out to Chris. Chris does a lot of mentoring of veterans into positions. And one of the things that he has done and looked at is in regards to making your resume more civilian-based. Using words like, you know, leadership and led small teams or operated specialized equipment or, you know, um, was responsible for the logistics administration and well-being of an eight-member team during adverse conditions, putting them into words that civilian employers understand. And we see a lot of this. We have um, 42% former military vets working at Ronin. And so we see a lot of these resumes come in and these resumes are, you know, I've done this, I've done that, whether it be like a DP3 or a QL3 or, you know, all these types of courses. I did my six A's or my PLQs. I understand what those terms mean. I can then make that transition into the civilian world of what I need you to do here. But there's a lot of people out there that obviously don't. And because a lot of these jobs, we're talking emergency services right now specific, are so high demand, they have so many applicants, they're not gonna take the time to worry about your resume. Your resume needs to grab them, they need to be able to understand it, and they need to be able to read it in a way that makes sense to them first time. There can't be you know, a second and a third time at this. You know, it's that old cliche, you have one attempt to make a first impression. And so with these individuals, you need to be coming out, you need to be working with somebody that can help you write a resume. The things you have done in the armed forces are of value. There are skills there, there are experiences there, there's maturity level there that other people kicking around in the civilian world, a lot of times of the same age, just don't have. And so these sort of things are out there if you can articulate them properly. And that's why I say, if you're in BC, look up Chris Hennenberry. Um, he does a couple, like I said, of the veterans transitions things. And if you can find him, if you get a hold of me, I can give you his contact info. He is great at doing that, at taking your military 
speak and turning it into civilian parlance on a resume so people can look at it. One of the other things we see a lot of, and please don't take this the wrong way, a lot of people in the civilian world don't care about the service you did. Just care about the service we did. It means nothing to them. Um, where you know you're the side plate to the main course. It's one of those where some employers even look at military people as damaged goods. Oh, great, we're going to have some sort of PTSD problem with this individual. Going in, being professional, playing to your strengths, having your resume speak to those strengths are definite pluses for you to get a job. And now when I say to your strengths, think about this. What other organization out there has, you know, almost 100,000 people kicking around in it in Canada that you would be able to reach out and rely on? There are military folks in all sorts of organizations. And as we go out and do more and more stuff, we end up chatting with these people. All of a sudden we find out that, hey, you know, our point of contact at one of the major clients we have where we do emergency response shutdown, former military. One of the fire chiefs we deal with, um, we rent some equipment and some space off of them. We've done some training for them. Former military. All of these things, once you start scratching through that surface, once you can get through the door, there are people out there that are former military and former military are willing to help military and former military. That's why we're doing these sort of things. Reach out and use those people to your advantage. Don't use and abuse them, but those people are looking to help and they will give you a hand. They will explain those types of locations or those types of industries or those types of jobs or what you need to do to get there. You want to be a firefighter? There's a ton of former military in the fire. There's a ton of them in the police. You want to be a truck driver? They're out there. Reach out to your contacts Find these people, ask them to have you along to take a look at the job and to pick their brain on it. There are items out there to give you a hand. If you do not plan, you will fail. Just like any task, any mission you had in the armed forces, the same thing is true in the civilian world and trying to transition into that civilian world. If you do not plan, you will fail. So, We've got a couple of interviews. There's a few takeaways from them. We'll probably do a few more of these as we interview other staff that have served just so that you have something to go back on, something to relate to when you do this. Um, We're not calling this really a podcast. It is. It's not in our regular numbered sequence. But this is out there for soldiers, sailors, Air Force personnel, Marines, that have served or are serving and are looking to get out. And there's only so much we can put in a podcast. So if you want questions, drop us an email. Info at RoninRescue.com. I-N-F-O at RoninRescue.com. You're someone that's looking to get out, we'll put you in touch with someone. We have people here that have served in the Australian, British, United States, and Canadian Armed Forces. We have access to people in the Belgian, French, and Israeli Armed Forces, sorry, as well as the German Armed Forces. That's the other thing about the military. We go around, we do this stuff around the world. 
with Ronan. And as soon as people from even another country figure out you're ex-military, there's an instant bond and there's an instant door that gets opened up. I'm not saying we'll be able to give you 100% what you're looking for, but we might be able to give you a hand. So once again, listen to uh, Chris and Ed and some of the experiences they had, what they did. If you have questions, info at RonanRescue.com. We're happy to help you. All right, so I'm sitting here with Ed Wadley as part of our Veterans Transition podcast, well off of the uh, rescue idea, but certainly with about 50% former soldiers working for us, something that's near and dear to our heart. So Ed runs projects for us in Ontario. He's been with us how long now? Since uh, June 2016. Holy crap, it's been a while. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's also Ottawa Fire. Prior to working for us in Ottawa Fire, you were British and Canadian? Yes, uh, Canadian military most recently, and then British military before that. So when did you get into the British Army then first? That was May 2001. Uh, right. How long were you in the British Army for? So about six years. I got out in August 31st, 2007. Remember the day? Not that you remember the day, no, exactly. No. <laughs> and then, uh, so did you go right to the Canadian Army after that? Yeah, it was basically a tra- like a, a transfer, although I had to discharge from the British Army and then join the Canadian Army. So I had to go, uh, but I was, I had to recruit school bypass. So I basically signed up and got sent straight to Petawawa to yeah. join two combat engineer regiment. Right on. And you went overseas with Canadians? Yep. In, over- in 2010, I was overseas with them. Afghan? Yeah. And British, you deployed at all? Yeah, went to the Falklands, did Afghan twice with them, uh, and then all over the place, uh, sort of adventure training and tours and jollies and stuff like that, so... Total side side uh, tangent here. You're stolen valor. You must get commented on all the time. How do you have you know Falklands what? and Afghan from yeah. Britain and Afghan Canadian? No, uh, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's never come up actually. And I think because people just don't recognize that third medal uh, that's off to the right behind my Diamond Jubilee medal. I think they see it, and then uh, I've never had any, and I haven't yet had the stolen valor. So, oh, well, I'm well, sure it's bound to come. Good for you for doing all that. So, when did you get out of the Canadian Army? That was in March 2013. Right on. And so how long did it take you to get on with Ottawa Fire? Uh, well, so I applied to Ottawa Fire in it would have been May 2012 because they hold bi- biannual uh, recruitment. So every two years they recruit. I applied then because I was looking to get I was looking to spend more time at home. And uh, so they were the first ones that opened up. And also they didn't have any prereqs uh, per se. They had, uh, you didn't have to do fire academy or any of the fire training. So I thought, okay, well, this will, if I get in, this is a good shot. That'd be great. But if not, at least I know what the process is like. So I applied in 2012 and I, I am that guy who won the lottery because I got hired first shot and got on by March 2000, uh, 2013. Well, I mean, I think for guys looking to apply for places, you mentioned something that's kind of big there is do your homework. You said, yes. hey, they didn't need all the prerequisites that a lot of departments might need. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, do your homework, know where to start applying in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, it was kind of a shot in the dark initially, uh, but the way I approached it was just step by step. So when you apply, I made sure the, uh, they had, you had a month to apply. I opened it up on May 1st when it opened. And I just took my time filling it out, making sure every applicable possible certificate I could need would be up there, as well as fine-tuning that resume and making sure it's, it's, it says what it needs to say. 
Okay, so that brings up an interesting point. You come out of the military, I get resumes across my desk all the time. Oh, I got SORM or I got AMO. Yeah, I know what these things are, but if you're applying to Civvy Street, the guy's going to look at this and go like, what the hell? So did you civilianize your resume at all? I did, yeah. I still use the, I would, uh, I'd break down, I wouldn't use the acronyms. I'd use the full title because that's, for example, a helicopter insertion instructor. You'd write it out as such, not HII. And then describe in civilian terms what that means uh, technically, as well as any personal attributes you get from that for the leadership, the management, uh, like a high level technical skill, working at heights, those types of things. Okay. And now fire, do you pick fire for a particular reason or why did fire become? It seemed like a logical step, uh, to me, uh, especially with the, the shift pattern and the, the, the culture of just living in that place and responding to incidents was much like sort of being in the military, being on an exercise or being on tour for that 24 hours or 12 hours, whatever your shift pattern is. Uh, plus you're always in a team of guys, uh, and the work, a lot of the work and the tools and stuff was something that I had, I had played with as a, as a combat engineer. Okay. And now when did fact meet reality, like when you came on fire, was it enough similar? Was there, was there stresses or changes that, you know, you had to make to go, Hey, this isn't the army or it's further away than the army or less further away than the yeah, army? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely further away from the army than you'd expect. Um, and that's just because it's this, it's. I say we say it's a civilian job, which it is in a way. Um, it's just it's it's the real world, whereas uh, the army can be a very insular and isolated world, and very uh, and yeah, it's just insular. Whereas you're exposed to more on the civilian side, you're exposed to more uh, legislation, more um, just a, a broader variety of work as well, like dealing with people. Whereas in the military, you sort of deal with army guys all the time. Now you're out on the street dealing with real people. The so, public. Yes. That's people public. that pay you, even yes. in the army. <laughs> yeah. um, is there any particular thing for like guys that are transitioning into a civilian job that would be something you would say, hey, think about this? Or, you know, in relation to that, coming from that insular world where everybody's wearing green to a world where no one stays in their lane? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely, a, uh, it can be a challenge where, yeah, where the military has very defined lanes, very defined pecking order. There's not that in the real world. And you have, there are some challenges of just accepting it and relaxing, I would say, is a big thing. And another point I would make for Army guys is always, if you're transitioning out, you know, like we teach in the military to look at the next bound, the next tactical bound, keep moving, keep trying new things, keep uh, developing yourself and don't stay stagnant. So a couple of points is look at it. You know, you're getting out, you start making that plan before, well before your release date so that you know what you're going to do your homework. So whatever job you want to do, try to find, you know, the one that's going to suit you the best civilianize your resume. Yeah. Any other tricks or tips? Um, be proud of your service, be, you know, and don't, you know, don't be shy about your service, but at the same time, realize that nine times out of 10, it means nothing to anyone on the outside world. And you're just another guy lining up for a job. Did Ottawa have any sort of benefits? Like, Hey, as a soldier, I get an extra point on here or anything like that. Not officially, but they do seem to hire a lot of ex-military guys. Um, and there is that sort of clique of ex-army guys that you see in the fire department that'll, as soon as you two guys are working in a station, they'll start talking and nobody else will know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you use the mafia at all, the ex-army connections at all to get jobs or 
Was that pretty much stayed away from when you went through the that process? That kind of stayed away from, yeah, because the process is so transparent and uh, it's very level, very level playing field, at least for Ottawa. You know each step, what you have to do and what you have to achieve. Um, the only time I saw the mafia came into play was you'd meet guys who then been on the department 20 years and they were a sapper in 1987 and you had immediate sort of connection with them about chatting and you knew some of the same guys. And that was, but that was it. It didn't, it didn't apply in the hiring process whatsoever. Okay. So does Ottawa do a ride along process at all, or is it strictly testing? It's strictly testing. And yeah, like I say, it's very transparent pr- uh, process. Um, you could, you're absolutely more than welcome to show up to the station and talk to the guys and see what the process is like. And usually there'll be a rookie who's done the most recent process because although it's stayed the same over the last six to eight years, probably 10 years even, there are nuances to it that have cha- possibly changed. So you may want to get the most up-to-date information from those guys. Okay. Um, looking back on it now, because you've been fired for how long? Six years now. Is there anything you think you would have done different or tried to change coming out of the Army? Did you come out at the right time? Was the circumstances around that correct? Was it the right position you're moving into? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. That being said, I miss it. But uh, I, know, I know at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm home way more than I ever was. There's no gauge town. There's no Wainwright. <laughs> so overall, it's a better, better option for sure. Cool. Thank you very much for uh, the time. Thanks, Mark. All right, so the next person we've got chatting with us is Chris. Chris has been with us for how long now, Chris? Just over a year and a bit now. Just a year and a bit. And once again, this is the veterans transition we're talking about. So I'll let Chris talk about what he did in the military and then get some questions in regards to how that transition went for him. So, Chris, what did you do in the Army? I did 10 years in the uh, Reg Force Army as a combat engineer. Uh, post to one CER out of Edmonton. All right, so uh, went back through Gagetown, I take it, through engineer school? Yeah, Gagetown for engineer school, and then uh, right from Gagetown post to Edmonton for my 10 years. Okay. Uh, overseas deployments? I did uh, Afghanistan, 2008. All right, Afghanistan, 2008. So when did you get out of the Army? What year? Joined 2005, got out 2015, February, so right at the beginning of 2015. All right, so with 10 years of service, was there any programs in the military that you could tap into money-wise or training-wise to help you get out? While I was in the military, no. Um, I know that Veterans Affairs offered some transition programs once you were out, but I found that a lot of them didn't support the combat arms trades as well because you don't come out with any real qualifications to like, aid yourself in finding something. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> gravel tech, that was my trade. Yeah. 31, 031 <laughs> trades, zero <laughs> trades. I would think with combat engineer, I mean, there's actually some, I mean, it's the tough, it's not the tough, sorry. The Patricia's I know will be jumping all over me if I say the toughest, but it is the longest duration uh, kind of, Trades qualification school, is it not? Right, it's about six months. And once you're in the trade, if you decided to go, like we have heavy equipment operators. So if you went that route once you got into the trade, you could come out with some some licenses or certificates to operate heavy equipment. Um, I never took that route. I was never interested in heavy equipment. So that wasn't something I went after when I was in the Army. I did EOD for a little bit, but that's all military-specific. You don't really get any certificates for civilian side of things. Yeah, fair enough. 
So really when I got out, I realized that there's really nothing that I could use outside of, you know, being a sergeant when I retired or got out to like have that manager type training to support myself. Okay. So you got out in 2015, February. Um, there's you know, some stuff from DV or Veterans Affairs. Did you use any of that stuff from Veterans Affairs or just kind of go at it on your own? I did apply to, uh, you can get a, a grant for schooling. Uh, I think it's up to 40000 if you're less than 10 years. Okay. Um, and is I, that through Veterans Affairs, that grant? That was through Veterans Affairs. Okay, so you got, you got, there's a possibility of that grant. And so did you right. get that? I used that towards my fire school. Okay. Um, so they gave me back the portion I paid for my fire school. and the Where rest, did you go to the fire school? I went to... Um, Emergency Services Academy at uh, Sherwood Park, Alberta. Okay. And I did my, it was a three-month course there. Now, does the school have to be a certain duration or a certain registration in order to apply that money to, or is there, like, is there stipulations around that? No, you had to uh, have put in your paperwork to VA prior to commencing the course. Okay. So if you had done the course already or gone to the schooling and got your, your certificate or whatever you want to use the money towards, you had to have applied for that before attending. Okay. So that's good for people to know out there is make sure you apply before you start attending these things. And so when did you go to fire school? Right after I got out of so 15. military. Yeah. Essentially March of that year. Okay. Now, transitioning into the civilian sector, uh, your first job when you got out was? You're laughing. That's just kidding. It wasn't easy. I, I found that a lot of what I learned in my trade in the Army didn't pertain to any real job on the civilian side. So the first job I found was working for Air Canada as a baggage handler, making $14 an hour. Going from a sergeant's pay down to that was a huge, huge shock. Okay. For sure. Um, after Canada, where did you go to? I uh, moved to Barrie, Ontario, and I did a patient transfer um, with the patient transfer company, so non-emergency patient transfer from hospitals. and. Care did you have to get more training to do that? I took EMR as part of my fire school. Okay. And I was able to transition that to Ontario and okay. use that uh, to get the, the patient transfer job. All right, so... Uh, some of that fire school then came into applicability there. Um, don't have to, I mean, dig in too deep, but uh, pay on doing like a transfer ambulance type job? A little bit better than Air Canada, about $18 an hour. So okay. I still wasn't quite where I was when I left the military. See, that's what's so funny, right? Because I got out as a master corporal and I think I was making like $83 a day. I was living below <laughs> the poverty line as a, as a soldier. But anyway, um, that was many years before that. So after that, where did you decide? You because we're obviously sitting here in British Columbia now doing yeah. this podcast. So well, I was in, when I was in the army. I knew that getting out, I wanted to be a firefighter, and I wanted to do that in British Columbia. So it took me about a year to really make that transition to move to BC. Okay, and that's where we ended up. All right, so that was about a year and a bit ago that you came out to BC. Right. Um, and I'll do some interlude on this, but. Using the contacts you have from the military is huge for getting jobs. Chris applied. I immediately kicked over to Ed, who's actually the previous interview on this, and it was like, 
hey, I know you. He was one CR, I think, wasn't he? On a pet, I believe there two. He, he was two, so you were one. And, yeah. And so, but I mean, I reached across the Sapper Mafia and came back with information on Chris for us. So, <laughs> I mean, don't be afraid. I think to use those connections that you've made in the army in order to you know do these types of things. So, getting out. What was the biggest like? piece of advice you could give someone that's in the engineers right now, they want to get out of the army, say they want to go in the emergency services, based on your experience, what would you say to them right now? I think the biggest thing would be use the programs that are there to aid you in, in releasing from the military. Like the, the um, grant money or the funding that you can get for schooling, you don't have to apply for after you're out. You can do that while you're in if you can work on that schooling before you get out to have those those courses available to you is that i think that was the biggest struggle was realizing how little my trade would help me on the outside getting a job outside of like i said outside of being a sergeant and having those leadership courses you can't just walk into a job that's going to pay you 30 bucks an hour full time without some kind of certificate or training to back that up and common engineers really doesn't give you that um so you're uh paid on call firefighter right now yes and still trying to get on with the fire department all time what other training or courses have you done since fire school or have you have you just been plugging away there or what ronan's helped me with that Um, yeah with some confined space courses uh i took a uh hazmat technicians course when i first got to bc and obviously I had to switch over my EMR, so I did that as well. Um, working on some advanced rescue courses and stuff like that, hopefully in the future. So, I mean, you're always having to continue to keep the courses coming in to show that you're actually trying to, trying to advance yourself. So that's something I always focus on. Now, is there any benefits or things from being in the military that, you know, when you've gone to do some of these ride-alongs or interviews or application processes with the fire that was an obvious like hey you know I can use a military answer for this or being in the military assisted me in this I think in a the way it assisted me or assists me is just having that uh, fundamental principles of of leadership and following uh, I guess lack better words rules and guidelines okay so like just having the confidence to go in and and do the job and do what's asked of you. I think a lot of that came from the military, just from, you know, being a follower and also following. Or sorry, not being a, and also being a leader. Yeah. So just the confidence in being able to go in and and know what is expected of you. No, understood. Um, Now, guys that are getting out, um, you know, you talked about one thing to do before they release. Is there anything that they shouldn't do or shouldn't bring up? Is there anything that you've seen in interviews or working with people where it's like, that's just a red flag, stay away from it? I think the biggest thing is just be humble. Like, even though you you may have a lot of good stories to tell or a lot of experiences, it, try to keep them pertaining to the job that you're applying for. So, you know, it's easy to talk to another military guy and, and, and talk about the battle stories, but when it comes to, you know, fire interviews and they, they're asking a specific question, 
try not to stray too far outside of what you think they're asking. Like a lot of my examples that I gave for my military time were great examples of working in a stressful situation or teamwork. And I kept it to that question without trying to, you know, tell a whole story. Okay. I think is the biggest thing. Cool. Anything else you want to uh, mention or offer for people that are listening that are looking to transition out? I think the biggest thing is to, to not jump to it too hastily and to really look at what's available to you prior to getting out. That's something I wish I had done a little bit better so that I could be prepared for uh, you know the hardship that comes with getting out. I, I don't think no matter how many courses you get in the military or how prepared you make it, you're, that transition is always going to be hard. You know, especially if you've been doing it for a long time. It's a, a whole different world when you get up to the city street. So, yeah, just really look at the what's it, what you're able to get through Veterans Affairs. And even the military itself has some courses you can take too. So, Right on. So basically make sure you're prepared. Yeah. I, I knew that I wanted to go to fire school, but that's all I knew. So outside of that, I, there's a lot more I could have looked into. Sounds good. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Chris. Thanks, Mike.